Good morning, Springbrook. Oh, it's so good to see you guys. I've been looking forward to Sunday morning and teaching the Word of God to you. So many have asked about how the vacation was, and oh, God gave us a great time. One of the memories that I'm going to have for a long time was when our whole family was at Great America. And I was a great American in 1976, the first year. I was a freshman in high school. And I rode the American Eagle, and oh, I've always got to ride the American Eagle. So that's exactly what we did. My three boys, who are now in their 20s, we were all in one car together. And so you go clickety, 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 click. You just kind of wait in anticipation. And there was this rain that was blowing in our faces, which really gave it an added uh, <laughs> sensation. And so we got there, and we're just right, ready to go down that incredible hill. And I just remember that moment before we hit the hill. This is my three boys, and... Unfortunately, they don't have cameras on that particular roller coaster anymore uh, where they take your picture and stuff like that because I would have liked to buy that at that point. We had a great time there, and uh, Lori and I spent a lot of time together. And that was really good. That was the best part. I was hanging out with her and doing things around the house and went down to Chicago, went to the Art Institute and different locations and uh, then uh, we also, um, yeah, just did things and uh, relaxed. Uh, one thing we did is we put up a new deck or put up a new uh, deck. Now, this was our old deck, and uh, it was really old. Our house was built in 1953. It's on the old side of Lake in the Hills near the police station. And this, the platform of the deck goes back 65 years. Just to let you know how old it is. And uh, then in about 20 years, we came and added the shed and the railings. And uh, it looks bad from the outside, but it was even worse in the middle, <laughs> inside. I mean, it was just rotten out. So uh, I hired my friend, uh, Mike Cusack, to come and build us a deck. And here's a picture of Mike. In fact, uh, Mike's here today. Why don't you stand up, Mike? All right. Uh, this is my summer buddy. We we <laughs> we hanged out together, and uh, I really helped a lot with the deck, didn't I? It was rough tearing down. <laughs> yeah, you know? well, yeah, no, I didn't help much at all. You just gave me some jobs to make like yeah, I was important. He, yeah, but he, uh, he had to hide a job. He's working on my soul. Oh, okay, there we go. There's the right answer, right? Amen. But I tell you what, I'll always remember... Uh, Encouraging you. I had to keep feeding you Cokes, right? I know, yeah. <laughs> Mike is a character, I tell you. He's so fun to be with. He's got a Coke museum at his house. he got an Elvis museum at his house. So if you're into Elvis, talk to, to Mike here. But thanks, bud. And it was so fun this he summer. Knows, he, knows that, uh, <laughs> he knows that I'm an addict to Coca-Cola, so yeah. he gets the caffeine in me. And then That's right. Uh, keep that caffeine going. I mean, what Michael did was unbelievable. 
He is so strong and just incredibly knowledgeable and full of great stories. He served in Vietnam back in uh, 62 and 63. That, yeah. 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 And he was on the ground. A lot of uh, you know things that he shared. Uh, difficult times, obviously. But look at this beautiful deck that's coming together, and it'll be done in the next uh, couple weeks. And I'm thinking about this because today... Uh, we're talking about how we pretend. Now, my old deck was nothing to speak of, but it looked better on the outside than it did on the inside. And many times, that's what we do in our lives is we, we pretend, especially in our relationship with Christ. We, we want to give people a, a different impression of what really is going on. Uh, we try to appear more spiritual, more committed, uh, more God-focused than we are. In fact, uh, it's great to have our youth in here uh, today. Yeah. How many of you guys were involved in musicals or plays, any of the youth? Okay, well, I used to do that all the time. Oh, Bill, you were. That's good. Way to go, man. We've got to talk about that. But I was involved in all kinds of plays and musicals in high school. And the word hypocrite means pretender. It means stage actor. And what they would do in Greek theater is they would take mass and they'd have one person play several parts. So they'd put one mask up and they were this particular character and they put another mask up and they were this particular character. Interesting, isn't it? And you know what? We are masters as well. And wearing all kinds of masks, whether it's a church or our job or things of that nature. Who's a hypocrite? Your neighbor is a hypocrite. Look at your neighbor and say, you are a hypocrite. Everybody do that? <laughs> you can say it to anybody because we're all hypocrites. And I'm a big hypocrite as well. It really is one of the most common sins that we commit in regards to uh, pretending to be something that we're not, especially when it comes to our walk with God. And so it's very important we talk about this. We need to become aware how easy we can go into pretending. It's been wonderful in the summer here uh, to study the book of Acts. Many times we do that in the summer. We take a book and really dig into it and you know, spend time there and really kind of understand the whole context of it. And I just heard such good feedback from the different speakers that we had over July. I'm glad you enjoyed that so much and we're spiritually fed. And we're continuing in Acts today the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts 4, 34 through 35 sets the stage. It says there was not a needy person among them. Now, of course, this is after Pentecost, after uh, the early church was born. And there were people from all over the world who had come to this Jewish festival, and they wanted to stick around. They wanted to find out what the apostles said about this whole new chapter in God's book, 
And so they might have stuck around for a year. So there was a problem because many didn't have the resources they needed. And so certain people in the church would come and give resources. And then anybody who had need uh, would be helped out. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Isn't that a wonderful value, a biblical value? Is that we as a family are to help each other. We're to always be on the lookout for our, our friends and, and for people we just might come apart. Or sometimes we know of a need in the office and we let that, know, let that be known. Uh, you're such a generous congregation. Uh, I just see people serving others uh, just because they're led to do that. And we just need to continue uh, to keep that as an important value here in our family. Thus Joseph, so now he's zeroing on one guy. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, when you study the character of Barnabas, he was an encourager. His name meant it, and he was always encouraging people. Isn't it great to have an encourager in your life? I mean, everybody needs a, a cheerleader, right? And again, that's why we have small groups and triads and ministries where you can get to know other people, develop relationships, so they can encourage you. Now, you might have the gift of encouragement like I do, so it comes very easily. But I, I would encourage you all to think about who needs encouragement in your life today. I say, well, I could need some encouragement. Well, hopefully God will bring it to you. <laughs> but, but ask the question, who else really needs my encouragement? Think about a family member. Think about someone here in the ministry or, or somebody who's struggling. Who can I call today? Who, who can I connect with? Who can I say, how can I help you? Because you share the grace of Jesus Christ when you reach out to others and give grace to them. Now, he's from Cyprus, a pretty wealthy nation, so he probably gave quite a bit. I remember... Springbrook back in the early days, and we had a family that sold their business and tithed off it, $320,000. I remember looking at that. <laughs> wow, it's incredible. And uh, God does it sometimes. Sometimes he just shows up in an amazing way. And usually it's just our faithful stewardship of what God's given us. But he showed up. He gave them Barnabas. Now, you can imagine the buzz, the buzz that, that erupted from all of this. Did you hear what Barnabas gave? Yeah. Can you believe that? That's incredible. God is doing such great stuff. And there was Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, Ananias, his name meant generous, and he was not generous. <laughs> He was greedy, and Sapphira's name was beautiful. Well, she was not beautiful on the inside, as we'll see in this story. 
So they hear this story about uh, what Barnabas has done, and they say, wow, wouldn't it be great if people said the same things about us? And they, they said how generous we, we are and how much we must love God. I mean, we'd make a splash just like Barnabas did. The problem was they did not have the heart of Barnabas. They didn't have the generosity of Barnabas. They were not encouragers like Barnabas. So they didn't want to be those things, but they wanted the accolades. They wanted people to think something about them that was not true. So they put a plan together in order to make people feel that they were something other than they were. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, and they're planning here, everybody knows what's going on, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, you can hear them kind of talking, yeah, it'd be great to have people think that about us, but we don't want to give that much money. I tell you what, let's sell the property. For illustration purpose, we'll say it's $1,000, okay? But let's keep 500 of, it, 500 of it for ourselves and say we sold it for $500. I mean, tell them we sold it for $500 and we're giving it all when really we sold it for $1,000 and we're not given it all. So this plan was hatched. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So Peter was told by the Holy Spirit that this is not true. They are lying. And Peter lays it out for Ananias. Now, you can imagine Ananias. Have you ever been caught in a lie? <laughs> I think we all have. It's like, oh. <laughs> so Ananias, is, he's thinking everything's going well, and you know people are going to really be impressed. And all of a sudden, he is caught red-handed. So look, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Very interesting here. When we talk about the theology of the Holy Spirit, if you're reading a book on you know, who the Holy Spirit is and what are the important biblical passages that talk about what we know about the Holy Spirit, this would be one of the most significant passages because there's a lot of people that think that the Holy Spirit is not a member of the Godhead. We talk about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're equal, they're together, but at the same time they have different roles, and we'll never be able to understand that. But a lot of people don't give a lot of attention to the Holy Spirit because they don't think that he was a distinct person, but he was and this proves it. Ananias, why the Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You can't lie just to an idea or a concept. 
there has to be a person that you lie to. So again, this is an important passage to identify the Holy Spirit as a very important person of the Godhead and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your own disposal? Hey, no problem there. But here's the key question. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Again, he's lying to the Holy Spirit. He's lying to God. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead. A couple things. First of all, we need to remember that when we sin, we sin against God. That's the first thing. Yes, we sin against a person, but ultimately we're sinning against God. Sometimes we kind of try to reduce the in the significance of our sins and say, well, this one person and I said this. No, you were saying it right to God. And also you were hurting them at the same time. He says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Friends, and especially our youth, we live in such a, uh, such a world that's full of lies. And... If you're young and you really work at guarding your heart, it's going to save you from a lot of uh, heartbreak, a lot of pain in your life. But we just have a natural tendency to contrive. That means mold or, or uh, you know, mold form these different plans that will lead to sin that we justify, that we deserve for whatever reason. Everybody else is doing it, we throw in. And so we contrive these plans in our heart. Every sin that we commit starts right here. So if you want to deal with sin, if you want to effectively uh, approach it and kill it, you start with the heart. You guard your heart. That's why it's so important that we're very careful in, in guarding our heart, and especially with all the media and all the different devices, and say, hey, am I guarding my heart here or by watching this program or reading this book or listening to this music or whatever? Is it planting you know, ungodly seeds in my heart that could eventually grow up and become plans and eventually uh, give birth? To sin, it says in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And as you move along the discipleship pathway, it's so important to have that time with God on a daily basis, that tag time, time alone with God, at 15 minutes or whatever God leads you to do, and it's a part of that time to reflect upon your life and say, okay, am I guarding my heart? Has anything snuck in that shouldn't be there? Now, we just had this wonderful time of celebrating Jesus Christ's 
death. Communion. And the Bible tells us that we should, we should check our hearts before we take communion. I mean, when you know that we're taking communion every, well, typically the first Sunday of every month, you need, and I need to do, we need to reflect and ask the question, okay, like David, is there any wicked way in me? Ask God to show you. And that's how you prepare for communion because you don't want to partake in communion if you're in rebellion against God. Better to let the, you know, the elements pass so you can get your heart right with God and next uh, time celebrate it uh, together. And I've let it pass many times when I've had issues going on in my life. But it's the whole idea of reflecting. And we're not good re- reflectors here. <laughs> In the U.S., we just go, 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 go. But in terms of really sitting back and reflecting, especially on what's in our heart and our motivations, that takes time. That takes time to slow down and, and, and listen to the Holy Spirit. Have you had that experience where you've really gone before God and say, God, is, it, is there any sinful way in me? Is there something I'm not? seen and we always need to be looking because we always have things going on ways that we're pretending that we're not even aware of when Ananias heard these words he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard of it Uh, the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him all right, let's say that uh, somebody's up here sharing a story of how God worked in their lives, and all of a sudden I have this impression from the Holy Spirit that this person is lying about it. So I come out and I just kind of interrupt them and say, you know, Holy Spirit's told me that you're lying. But why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? And then all of a sudden, They're dead. I mean, right here on this stage, there's a person that was fully healthy and alive, but now they're dead. I mean, really? Think about it. Imagine it. What would you do? Would you run out of this church and say, I'm never going back there, man, because they know I'm next. They know I'm next. Yes, lightning will kill me. It's been proven in Scripture. I mean, they only lied about it, man. I mean, oh, I should be dead, and i got to stay away from that church. (sighs) Yeah. No wonder they were afraid. They were afraid it might happen to them. I assume some type of service might be going on here, and the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now, the Jews always, always buried their dead the same day, to have embalming. Uh, so they bury them right away. They still do that today. <laughs> so these young guys, they, they're carrying them out. Wow. It's amazing. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Now, <laughs> If somebody was struck dead in the service, I think that news would travel 
pretty fast. So it must have been God protecting her from this news. Well, not really protecting, but whatever. <laughs> Didn't want her to know. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Ah, wrong answer. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Again, we see the idea of the Holy Spirit. They're sinning against him. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. So she gets some early notice that she's going to die. Right? Just I mean, First, you, know, you learn that your husband died, and now you're brought forward and says, now you're going to die. And she dies. <laughs> but here these guys are coming back. From burying Ananias. <laughs> they come back and they find Sapphira there. <laughs> really? <laughs> is this going to be a new ministry in our church? Burying sinners? <laughs> it really is an amazing story when you think about it. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Well, that was nice. At least they could do that. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. What was the fear? The fear was, wow, God is really serious about the whole idea of not sinning. (laughs) I'm sure that it really impacted everybody's life in such a deep way they would never forget that day. And the story was, of course, passed down to generations. So here's a question. Why was God's discipline so harsh? Now, it was discipline. Some people say, well, Ananias and Sapphira, they weren't Christ followers. Oh, yes, they were. Because it talks about this relationship they had with the Holy Spirit who was inside of them. Yeah, they were Christ followers. They were part of this community. And this was discipline. Of course, we remember in 1 Corinthians that they were having, it's hard to believe this, but you know, when they celebrated communion, it was more of a feast. It was a longer period of time. They had orgies going on. That's how whacked out they were. And God took them home. I believe God still takes home people who are just really no longer needed here on earth. I mean, they still go to heaven and they're saved by grace. Right? Yes, they are. But they're not doing much good down here. I I was trying to think of the one person where I maybe thought (laughs) somebody had died. Uh, that I knew, and I'm thinking, well, who knows? I mean, you can't call that, obviously, but uh, I don't think it happens often, but, um, yeah, I mean, we're going to heaven anyway, right? But still, yeah, we're not useful here on earth. It also was harsh because this was the first satanic attack in the early church. Satan was mentioned here as being behind it, And Satan's number one goal is to destroy the church 
of Jesus Christ. Because the church of Jesus Christ has been given the command to reach people and see lives transformed. And if he can destroy the church, he will do it. And we've heard things about churches, you know, where Satan is really, really won a victory. And it breaks our hearts, doesn't it? It should break our hearts. And even more importantly, it should cause us to be so faithful in prayer and protecting our family. You know, Satan's only one person. But yeah, there are demons, I think, that probably are assigned to this church to make trouble. I'm not sure how it's all organized, but I know that he's active here in some way. If not, maybe like, oh, well, it's spooky. It's true, but God is much greater than Satan, right? Amen? Amen? That's why we need to put the full armor of God on every day. That's why we need to pray that God would protect us and that we would glorify Him in every way. The second thing, God was sending a strong message about the importance of holiness. It was a one-time thing, at least in Acts. And I think God realized that if people just kept pretending to be walking with Jesus when they weren't, that that would destroy the church. When the church is just a bunch of pretenders, it would be better not that we were here together. I mean, because... People look at us, they see our walk, they, they see our decisions and our lives, and they make a judgment is, hey, is this the real thing, or are they just pretending? Just pretending. We, we don't want to be pretenders. Now, again, it's part of our sinful nature. We'll struggle to, with that till the day we die. But the whole idea of maturing is becoming less and less of a pretender. Ask this question. When's the last time you confessed your sin to God? When you identified a sin in your life, and you could be new in Christ, and this is all new to you, and you're still trying to figure everything out. But if you've been walking with, with Christ a while, I mean, certainly there are sins that need to be confessed. You need to agree with God, yeah, that... That was a sinful, that was a sinful move. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to. You're, you've already been forgiven for the sin at the cross, right? When you became a Christ follower, but you just need to agree with God. Yes, please help me uh, to move in the direction of holiness. We need to be a holy church. That's why, why God, I think, was so harsh with this. He wanted to send a, a very strong message to each person that, hey, you're a Christ follower. And, and don't be a pretender. Don't just be somebody who says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, and, but not 
have Jesus as Lord of your life, not have Jesus impacting every day of your life. And sometimes there are people in for years, for years that come to a church like this and never stop pretending. You look at them, they're in church here, and they're nice. And, but again, they're doing their own thing. They don't feel convicted by the Word of God. Now, it's interesting. Uh, I was recently studying about why it's so hard uh, to attract people to church these days. And, and one of the key things, of course, is the decline of cultural Christianity. There were a lot more hypocrites back in the day. Because they felt they needed to be there for politics or economic reasons or to look okay. Most people are gone because it's, it's no longer you know, that important. And that's why it's hard. It's impacted you know, how churches you know, continue to reach people and, and grow and flourish. So that's changed. We need to live a life of holiness. In fact, Jesus Christ was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he said, don't, don't point to a speck in your brother's eye. And he goes on, you hypocrite, you pretender, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, this is how Jesus Christ was funny. He had a sense of humor, you know. <laughs> You're looking at somebody and, and, oh, you got a speck in your eye. And you personally have like a two-by-eight, ten-foot piece of lumber in your eye. Okay? I mean, it's sticking out there. I mean, you're bumping people with it and stuff like that. And you come up to this guy and you say, Hey, I see that sin in your life. You turn around and knock him over. Hey, you, get rid of that sin. It's hard to support your head. and <laughs> That's, That was funny, right? <laughs> That's what Jesus Christ was saying. Do not be a pretender. And, oh, we're good, aren't we? When it comes to seeing the sin in other people's lives, oh, some people have the gift of it. They can just smell sin out. And maybe you got a person in that life, and they're, oh, I don't know about that person over there, but I know. I know, bing, 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 knock them off. Oh, and this person over here. Oh, we we love it because every time we call out a sin in another person's life, we feel better about ourselves because we are so holy. No, no. No. We should have not a judgmental spirit toward our brother, but always looking in and saying, okay, what about my life. What does God want to change? Where am I pretending? There's a lot of ways we can pretend. Now, it's interesting that this particular situation was about money, right? They were pretending that they were incredibly generous with their resources when they were just the opposite. They were looking for the accolades but they did not live the life. And friends, that's such a, a personal issue for all of us. We look at this verse so many times because it's so important. 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, who were Ananias and Sapphira serving? They were serving money. And they wanted to get uh, people thinking that they were so committed to God, but they weren't serving God. They were just putting up a front. Again, money is such an objective way to look at your spiritual life. The average American family gives 2.8% of their income to charity. But the average American does that too. And that doesn't figure, right? I mean, God's very clear in Scripture, you need to honor me first with the resources I give you. You need to give me the first fruits, and you need to be reminded, I'm the one who provided this for you in the first place. And so the first thing a mature Christian does is they give that money to the Lord, and they thank Him, and they honor them. And, you know, you've got to determine what the percentage is. Old Testament Standard at 10%, I mean, that's what we encourage people to do. You're, you've lost your mind. 10%? <laughs> yeah, I know. God is asking you to do something you don't think you can do. But you have to pray to God. and you know, I know there are a lot of special situations. People just are so, you know, struggling with financial resources. Well, let's say that you know, you you have the resources. And again, things are tight. Things are always tight. And, and you're not giving anything to God. Nothing. You're a pretender. And I bring this up only because it's part of the passage, right? They were pretending. And what did the God use? He used money. And so if we say, yeah, I love God and all that kind of stuff, but I just, I don't give him anything my financial resources that he's entrusted to me. That's pretending. And again, we pretend in a lot of areas in our life, but this this particular area focuses on this particular choice. Now again, we have an incredibly generous congregation. I'm just always amazed. I was talking to John Pushbrow about finances, and he says, you know, the greatest growth uh, in giving this year has been from people who attend Springbrook. Isn't that cool? You're growing in generosity. Praise God. Way to go. Way to go. Again, we're all at different parts of our pathway. And if God's convicting you of pretending with not honoring Him with your financial resources, then deal with it. If it has to be that you, you talk, I mean, you know all the Christian lingo. You can write the book and you throw it around because, you know, everybody will think, oh, well, they're, they are really super spiritual. They're not because you are pretending. You've got to stop that. Right? You know the biggest way that we pretend? We're not honest about our spiritual walk. You know, we get together with the Christ followers and 
When's the last time you shared, shared, let's say, with a friend? I'm really struggling with this sin. Or, or I'm discouraged in my spiritual life. You see, that's a beautiful thing to share. Because you're being authentic. And that's what God's looking for. Authenticity. And if we just never tell anybody, and it depends on our personality, but still. Yeah. Everybody's struggling to some degree, right? That's the nature of the discipleship process. Let's just be open with each other because when we're open with each other, you know, you look at the person and say, wow, I struggle with that too, but I would never say it out loud. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, man, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to reflect on where we might be pretending in our lives. Help me to reflect, Lord. Oh, it's so insidious, this issue of hypocrisy. We're so good at it. And Lord, I just pray for each of us that you might point out just one area. You know, growing the Christian life is like a peeling an onion. <laughs> you know, one layer at a time. But show us. Show us, Lord. Teach us. Because, Lord, we want to be real. Because we've got the greatest message on earth. And we want to live out a life that reflects you. In Christ's name, amen.